Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. I'll now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. I am M, a verbal diorama, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 97, The Avengers. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. Welcome everyone, thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you so much for all the positive comments on recent episodes like Robin Hood Men in Tights, which is obviously completely different to The Avengers in pretty much every way. And thank you to the sudden influx of new listeners post my live stream for the cure appearance as i'm recording this episode the weekend before i recorded this episode i appeared for the first time live streaming for charity and randomly so many extra people downloaded my episodes sort of over that weekend and the download numbers were actually over 50 percent higher that week than the week before. So I can only assume it was live stream for the cure that did that. I'm not going to be releasing the audio that uh, live stream for the cure. And that's kind of for good reason, really, because it encroaches quite a lot on episode 100 in a way. But I will source the video and possibly I'm going to make it available to patrons because I know a lot of people wanted to be there uh, and watch and they couldn't be for whatever reason so I might just make the video available as a patron perk because let's be honest I don't think many people are going to watch it but the patrons do support me unconditionally so I think that they would probably like that but whether you are brand new to Verbal Diorama or whether you're a long-time listener I am so genuinely grateful that you're here especially in the run-up to episode 100. And obviously, it made complete sense to me to make the run-up to episode 100 as big and bold and brash as it could be. And the Avengers movies really just fit the remit that I wanted for this run-up to episode 100. It's worth adding as well that this has been my plan since December of last year. Because everyone knows I love a good scheduling. I schedule episodes quite a long way in advance. I'm currently scheduled up to December of this year. And it's not even June. So, <laughs> yeah, that is how I work. That is how I plan my time. That is how I plan guest appearances and stuff like that. I basically schedule stuff in. But, anyway, I don't think I need to introduce The Avengers other than by saying... <laughs> Here's the trailer for the Avengers. And boy, we've got so much to talk about. So, I'll see you on the other side of this trailer. War has started. And we are hopelessly outgunned. Director Fury, I think it's time. Here with the mission, sir. Trying to get me back in the world. Trying to save it. Doctor, we need you to come in. 
What if I say no? I'll persuade you. What are you asking me to do? It's called the Avengers Initiative. I thought I didn't qualify. Apparently I'm, what is it, volatile, self-obsessed? And don't play well with others. I think they need to time out. How desperate are you? And you call on such lost creatures to defend you. You have made me very desperate. We're not a team. We're a time bomb. This is nothing we were ever trained for. party to you. Loki, the adopted brother of Thor, teams up with the Chitari army and uses the Tesseract's power to travel from Asgard to Midgard to plot the invasion of Earth and to become its king. The director of S.H.I.E.L.D., Nick Fury, sets in motion the Avengers Initiative, bringing together a group of remarkable people to fight the battles regular soldiers can't. Earth's mightiest heroes must come together and learn to fight as a team if they are going to stop the mischievous Loki and his alien army from enslaving humanity. That sounds quite serious, really, for a comic book movie, doesn't it? And, I mean, there are very serious aspects to this movie. But mostly, it's just really, really mega fun. Let's go through the cast. I don't think I need to explain who the cast are. I think everyone knows this cast, but let's go through it anyway. We have Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man. Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America. Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner, a.k.a. Hulk. Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow. Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye. Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Clark Gregg as Phil Coulson. Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill. Stellan Skarsgård as Eric Selvig. Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. And Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts. The screenplay was by Joss Whedon. Story by Zach Penn and Joss Whedon, and it was directed by Joss Whedon. And Joss Whedon is a name that's going to be coming up quite a lot, unfortunately. It's a shame that I have to say that because I am such a big fan of his previous work. I've done an episode on Serenity. I've even done an episode on Buffy. I grew up with Buffy. I'll talk a little bit about Joss Whedon uh, a bit later, but yeah, it's a bit of a shame that his name is tarnished now. Anyway... So I'm not going to go heavy into the comic book history of Earth's Mightiest Heroes, but here's a little bit of, of Avengers history, because honestly, there's so much to go through on this movie that I don't really want to focus too much on the comic books. But anyway, they debuted in the Avengers number one in September 1963. That was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. The team originally consisted of Iron Man, Ant-Man, Hulk, Thor and Wasp. Captain America, found trapped in the ice, was introduced in issue number four and joined the group. Most importantly, though, each member of the Avengers came from an existing comic book series. They had existing backstories and these stories culminated in the Avengers. The initial series was published between 1963 and 1966 and spawned several spin-off series such as West Coast Avengers in 1984 and Solo Avengers from 1987 to 1991. The series was relaunched three times between 1996 and 2004 with the Heroes Reborn line taking place in an alternate universe. It's really hard to talk about the comic books though because although the Avengers is based on these stories in a roundabout way, mostly the Ultimates version, 
It's not really based on any particular storyline. The Avengers Initiative, as Nick Fury states, was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people. And in many ways, that can also relate to behind the camera, as well as the characters that we see in front of the camera. I've mentioned on this podcast before in episodes on the three Captain America movies and X-Men that Marvel famously sold the rights to their most popular characters in the 90s, mainly because they were hemorrhaging money. X-Men went to Fox, Spider-Man went to Sony, and Marvel were left with the likes of Iron Man, Thor, Captain America. These heroes formed the basis of what would be Marvel Studios Phase 1 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Marvel didn't make a great deal of money from licensing characters out. They actually only made $62 million from Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2, which were obviously huge hits. $26 million for three of the X-Men movies and $13 million for Fantastic Four. Marvel Studios was born in part to produce its own features as well as recapture creative control from its studio partners. The original idea for the Avengers had been mooted in 2003, but it was the alliance between Marvel and investment company Merrill Lynch in 2005 which yielded a plan to produce a slate of superhero films to be distributed by Paramount Pictures, which would culminate in a team-up crossover. These plans were originally announced in 2005, and screenwriter Zach Penn would start work on the script for the Avengers in 2007. Obviously, during this time, Iron Man was in production, along with The Incredible Hulk, also written by Zach Penn. The success of Iron Man led to the Avengers being announced in May 2008 and teased in the post credit scene of Iron Man and given a confirmed release date of July 2011. Penn was tasked to shuttle between the existing Marvel movies and connect each movie to the Avengers in a way which felt organic and true to these cinematic character origins. Penn had doubts on Thor and how he would work in the Avengers lineup. That was until he saw Chris Hemsworth's portrayal of Thor. By March 2010, Zach Penn had completed his script. And of course, sequels in Hollywood are and were a well-trodden thing. But team-ups or crossovers, not really. It was done in comic books all the time. While Universal had started the trend with Frankenstein meets the Wolfman in 1943, a nice little heart back to the monster squad there, Godzilla fought Mothra in 1964's Mothra vs. Godzilla, and Freddy Krueger took on Jason Voorhees in Freddy vs. Jason in 2003. This wouldn't be two established characters going toe-to-toe in a battle. This would be a team of relatively unknown to the wider general public, because remember, these characters weren't really that well known, and they would be teaming up together to take on a bad guy. It was unprecedented, and as we'll come to, no one knew it was actually going to pay off. Not even 12% of a payoff. A <laughs> little bit of a joke there. When it came to finding a director for this, for this huge team-up event, the focus turned inevitably to John Favreau, who directed Iron Man and had agreed a higher price to come back for Iron Man 2 after Iron Man became a huge hit, and quite rightly. But Ike Perlmutter, who was Marvel Entertainment's CEO at the time, was notoriously cheap and didn't want to pay extra for Jon Favreau to return for the Avengers directorial gig after they agreed to up his salary for Iron Man 2, because obviously he'd want a bigger salary for the Avengers. Jon Favreau would retain an exec executive producer credit on the Avengers and he would have creative input but the director's chair for the Avengers needed a cheaper name it needed someone who had the geek credentials it needed to be a known name but not an expensive name and this is where we bring in Joss Whedon to the story Joss Whedon uh, as I said someone whose body of work I respect and admire a great deal from Buffy and Angel and Firefly and Serenity and all of these amazing, brilliant, innovative shows. And it's turned out that he's someone who's been revealed very recently as being incredibly problematic, that many accusations of harassment and bullying in the workplace, most recently from the set of Justice League, but also going back to the sets of Buffy and Angel. It's extremely toxic behaviour stemming from a literal abuse of power. As I've said before on this podcast, when talking about these problematic people, I'm not here covering this movie in any way to endorse or show any amount of support for Joss Whedon, because why? Why would I do that? I kind of feel exactly the same when I covered Serenity, 
to a degree and also what I covered X-Men because the director of X-Men as well is just there's just so many bad things about that guy and and just so you know there's any if I'm going to show any support or endorsement to anyone it's going to be the victims of Joss Whedon's abuse and bullying claims people like Ray Fisher Charisma Carpenter Gal Gadot Everyone who's since come out with claims of harassment or abuse. Because let's be honest, it's never okay to abuse your power as, as a director or indeed anyone. Anyone at all. Not even just people in charge, but anyone. It appears that Whedon's time on The Avengers hasn't been noted as being problematic. However, I think there's a really good reason for that. Because when you're looking at huge Hollywood names like Robert Downey Jr. and Scarlett Johansson, it's highly unlikely that someone like Joss Whedon would have actually attempted anything because they are huge Hollywood stars and he does not have the power to do that. Bullies only tend to bully when they feel like they have the upper hand. And I feel like Joss Whedon clearly felt that on his TV shows, he, especially towards women uh, and people of colour, he felt like he had the upper hand. And, you know, it's a despicable human trait, really, bullying and toxic behaviour in the workplace and harassment. So I'm not here to endorse Joss Whedon. Just so you know, I'm here to talk about the Avengers. So I'm literally going to talk about Joss Whedon, literally just in the context of his work on the Avengers, because he is responsible for a lot of what we have now through this movie. And that's really the only time that I'm going to praise the guy. But anyway, so Joss Whedon was known for likes of Buffy, Angel. 2005, he had directed Serenity, the movie of Firefly, his short-lived TV show. Serenity is episode 58 of this podcast, by the way. Serenity hadn't been a hit, but that didn't stop Marvel from choosing him. They'd obviously chosen very genre-based directors for phase one of Marvel Cinematic Universe. Up to this point, they'd gone with Jon Favreau, for the Iron Man movies, Kenneth Branagh, obviously known very much for his Shakespearean roots for Thor, Joe Johnston, known for his period pieces for Captain America the First Avenger. So really having the ultimate geek, Joss Whedon, for the Avengers actually made a lot of sense. He was available, he was cheaper than Jon Favreau, and he had plenty of experience with ensemble casts. Kevin Feige also knew Joss Whedon personally and was confident that they had found the right man for the job. So Joss Whedon inked a deal to write and direct The Avengers in mid-2010, which meant taking Zach Penn's existing script and reworking it. Whedon insisted that he started from square one, but due to Writers Guild of America rules, Zach Penn was ultimately also given a story credit, which Whedon admitted to not being very happy about. The only stipulation Whedon received was that the villain of the piece had to be Loki. So that was the only kind of rule he was given, that they wanted Loki to be the bad guy. Joss Whedon's script went through several iterations, which included adding more villains other than just Loki, including Obadiah Stane's son Ezekiel Stane. It also included the Wasp as the primary female character, as at the time Scarlett Johansson hadn't signed on to play Natasha Romanoff, and they were unsure who the female character would be. Whedon's core idea would be about finding togetherness from a group that ultimately doesn't belong together. A genius billionaire playboy philanthropist, a literal god, a World War II super soldier, a gamma-infused rage monster, a spy and an assassin were not the ideal template for a team-up, no matter how you look at it. Add Whedon to the mix, a man with hardly any experience in the field of movie making, but plenty of script doctoring experience. He obviously did work on Toy Story, for example. He's done work on loads of things. He wrote Alien Resurrection. And so he did have some experience in Hollywood. But my point is, this movie, as what it was and what it is, really was kind of set up for failure in many ways. Except what Marvel did and what they were really clever at is... This is the foundation for the MCU in its entirety, this movie. But what they did was they built the foundations of the foundation because the tone, the personality, the style comes straight from the playbook of the movies that preceded it. This wasn't just going to be the first team up, but a team up on paper that actually made no sense, much like the whole of the phase one MCU. Because let's be honest, it's something that other studios have tried to replicate and yet no one else has quite seemed to grasp it like Marvel. I mean, there's only really one reason for that, I think, and that is Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige 
basically knows everything that's going on at Marvel Studios. He is the one person who literally has his hands in all of these pies. And he's a remarkably, incredibly intelligent man. I spoke about him in the episode that I did on X-Men, basically about how Kevin Feige actually became someone on X-Men. And it was only because he knew the characters so well. He knew their histories. He knew their personalities. He knew their characters. He knew their relationships. And he knew how these characters ticked. And having Kevin Feige at Marvel is really the only reason. <laughs> I mean, there's obviously other reasons. You know, you've got good directors, good actors, and all of that sort of stuff. But Kevin Feige really is the glue that keeps this universe together. Anyway, while The Avengers was being written, casting was taking place, not just for this movie, but for the movies also running up to it. Because The Avengers was being made before the likes of Captain America the First Avenger and Thor ever got released. And I'll talk about that a bit later, but Chris Evans signed on as Steve Rogers in March 2010, and obviously listen to the Captain America episodes for more on his casting. Scarlett Johansson replaced Emily Blunt in the role of Natasha Romanoff, and then there was the Hulk in the room. Edward Norton, who played Bruce Banner in The Incredible Hulk, was open to returning initially, but after a statement from Marvel that they were going to recast the role, Norton then stated he wasn't interested in returning anyway and basically just went... <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Marvel stated that they wanted someone who, and I quote, embodies the creativity and collaborative spirit of our other talented cast members, unquote, and insisted the choice was not a monetary one, which kind of very much implies that Edward Norton isn't a team player. And I very much recall the casting backlash that Mark Ruffalo got when it was announced that he was going to be Bruce Banner. And looking back, it's ridiculous, really, that so many people on the internet got so upset when really he has made the role his own. His Bruce is so sweet and delightfully bashful and scruffy, doesn't like to draw attention to himself. He's like this nervous pariah who seemingly doesn't know how to control his rage, except we find out he does. And while the I'm always angry line was kind of a bit baffling, sometimes you do just learn how to control your emotions. You can just be emotional, whether that's sadness, anger, happiness, and just control how you emote it. I mean, I can't. <laughs> if I'm sad, then I'm sad. Uh, if I'm happy, then I'm happy. I am not very good at masking my emotions. And Bruce is never not going to be angry at his life and what's happened to him. And arguably, it is kind of just a plot device to bring out Hulk. But Mark Ruffalo's restrained emotional performance is so endearing. It's really one of my favourite things about the Avengers as a whole, actually, is Mark Ruffalo. Which is something that I never actually thought when his casting was announced that I would think that he was so great. But I really think he's so wonderful in all of these movies, actually. While the Avengers was in the throes of pre-production and now pushed back a year for a 2012 release, other things were afoot. Not only were other MCU films in the run-up to being released, but in the background, Disney was staking their claim on Marvel with a $4 billion investment, which meant making a deal with Paramount. And in October 2010, an announcement was made detailing Paramount would transfer its worldwide marketing and distribution rights for Marvel Studios, The Avengers and Iron Man 3. But Paramount would remain the distributor for Thor and Captain America The First Avenger, which at that point, as I say, hadn't been released. Under the terms of the agreement, Disney would pay Paramount $115 million in total, half of which for The Avengers in 2012 and half for Iron Man 3 in 2013. Paramount would retain a marquee credit, which is why when you watch The Avengers, you still see a Paramount logo at the start, despite the film being solely owned, distributed, financed and marketed by Disney. And obviously now Disney own pretty much everything <laughs> everything to do with Marvel except The Incredible Hulk, which they still do not own the rights to that character. It's all really complicated. They can have movies featuring Hulk, but there will never be a solo Hulk movie because of the rights to do with Hulk. But that is a conversation for a Hulk movie or maybe for a Thor movie. Anyway, so storyboarders were brought on early on The Avengers and it was a hybrid of animation and live action pipelines. 
Things like camera angles have to be forwarded to the animation department. Many of the movie's fight scenes, especially those concerning Black Widow, were storyboarded by Jane Wu, a martial artist and one of the few people in the whole industry that can choreograph and animate a fight sequence. Most fight sequences, even the male-fueled testosterone ones, are storyboarded by Jane Wu, in her words, a middle-aged mum. Visual effects company The Third Floor were responsible for the pre-visualisation, and The Battle of New York alone took several months of previous to combine the script, storyboards, concepts and general ideas for each shot. Post-pre-visualisation was a second phase called TechViz, where schematics and simulations were created based on camera position, actor placements, stunts, safety, lens choice and other aspects of the shoot. Movie making is therefore not a fly by the seat to your pants thing. Everything is thought of, discussed and agreed beforehand. Clearly, this is why us normos don't make movies. The film was set to shoot in Albuquerque, New Mexico at the Albuquerque Studios. Originally, the film was set to shoot in Los Angeles and New York. And while some parts were shot in New York, a removal of a tax incentive meant that a Detroit shoot was cancelled. Cleveland, Ohio would double for New York and real soldiers from the 391st Military Police Battalion from Columbus, Ohio provided background extras for the New York battle scenes to kind of make it look like there is an actual war going on. Two days of shooting took place in New York at Park Avenue and Central Park. Shoots took place on Sunday mornings and police still had to get involved to stop traffic on 42nd Street. And filming in New York actually took place on the anniversary of 9-11. And so any explosions or loud noises would naturally make New Yorkers feel uneasy, especially on that particular date. It was for this reason that a permit to shoot in New York was not easy to get. Most of the production actually spent time shooting footage of New York City instead, which could then be used to create the computer-generated battle sequences. Deals were made with every single building the production could get on board, and photographers from ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, obviously, took detailed photos of every single aspect of each building. Most of these New York scenes were shot on green screen, and the New York backdrop added digitally. Visual effects supervisor Jake Morrison explained that while technology and the ability to generate realistic looking backdrops of cities was possible in computers, that there was no substitute for starting with real images and adding CG elements to them. Uh, and obviously the Battle of New York is literally the biggest set piece in the whole movie and it would also affect other Marvel movies and TV shows going forward and this was really the start of a truly connected universe of movies and TV because you had Netflix's Daredevil which I hope we will see again at some point because that was a fantastic show it's now back with Marvel actually I really hope Marvel does something with Daredevil but obviously Daredevil is set in Hell's Kitchen uh, and would often reference the Battle of New York Tony Stark would struggle with PTSD of sending a nuke into space, basically. Uh, the destruction of New York would partially convince the nations of the world to bring about the Sokovia Accords in Captain America's Civil War. For this movie, the Battle of New York, the Avengers actually coming together and working as a dysfunctional family was going to make or break this movie. The iconic shot circling the group as they're facing up was Joss Whedon's idea, brought to life by my by Ryan Minarding, the visual development supervisor. They basically wanted to focus on remaining as faithful to the look of the comics as possible, making the characters instantly recognisable from the look to the costumes, having Captain America wear the stars and stripes, bringing the old fashioned, so to speak, having Phil Coulson, a Cap mega fan responsible for the vintage look, Black Widow was originally envisaged as having a form-fitting shield-issue catsuit with energy dispellers, something she'd eventually get in Age of Ultron. Iron Man's new Mark VII suit had to register as an Iron Man suit, but also be distinguishable from the suits before it. Having Robert Downey Jr. in the HUD, the heads-up display, changing from blue to red to show Iron Man is ready for battle. And all of these different elements of this movie, including things like... Robert Downey Jr. in their heads-up display. There's just so much, there's a wealth of information online about how they did this movie. There's so much information, actually, that it was practically impossible for me to condense into an episode. I do try and keep episodes about an hour long. Sometimes they're about 50 minutes. Most of the time they're about 50 minutes. And a lot of the Marvel stuff tends to be over the hour. But if I 
did the level of information that's out there on how they made the Avengers. I mean, it would be hours and hours. <laughs> Genuinely hours to talk about the Avengers. There's so much information. It's so interesting how they made this movie. The one thing that I found really, really interesting was the cinematographer Seamus McGarvey composed the frame with a 185 to 1 aspect ratio to cope with the characters' varied heights. Because if you think about this movie, you have characters of different heights. Um, you have a character like Black Widow. I think Scarlett Johansson is about five foot four, maybe about my height, actually, because I'm about five foot four. I don't think she's very tall. And then obviously you have the men in the team who are slightly taller than Scarlett Johansson. And then you have Hulk, who is absolutely huge in comparison to everyone else. Uh, and everyone has to fit on the screen. And obviously Hulk was performed by Mark Ruffalo in a motion capture suit with four motion capture HD cameras, two full body cameras and two on his face. So while Ruffalo's face was incorporated into Hulk's, down to even his teeth and his tongue, his body wasn't. They actually used a bodybuilder and male stripper, his name was Steve Rom, to model the physique of Hulk. Rom was spray painted green uh, and they modelled the footage on his body with Ruffalo's head to create Hulk. Uh, which is kind of cool actually because unlike the other actors who had probably strict diets and exercise regimes to maintain their perfect physiques, Mark Ruffalo didn't have to do that. He could basically pretty much do whatever he wanted, but obviously Steve Rom did have to keep that Hulk-like physique. Speaking of visual effects, obviously this is a movie full of visual effects. 14 companies did the visual effects in the Avengers. There are over 2,200 of these effects. Companies including the industry standard, basically, Industrial Light and Magic and Weta Digital, as well as Scaleline VFX, Luma Pictures, Digital Domain, all companies that I've featured in other episodes of this podcast. ILM was the lead vendor for effects and responsible for creating Hulk and Iron Man, as well as Digital Body Doubles and the Helicarrier and the New York Cityscape that I've already talked about. Weta Digital would take over the animation of Iron Man from ILM post the Forest Jewel scene because, of course, the two characters with the biggest egos, Thor and Iron Man, would duke it out in a forest. Most of the jokes in the script were down to Joss Whedon, including when Hulk punches Thor and Hulk tossing Loki around, the latter of which received a few objections, but none from Kevin Feige, so it stayed in. I mean, it is violent, I'll give you that, but it's also really, really funny. And also, Loki's a god. It's not like Hulk's going to actually hurt the guy. We're going to talk more about Loki in a little bit because I have things to say about Loki. The Avengers Remains a really, really good movie uh, from an entertainment point of view. But what I really love about this movie is that it was a huge risk. And I think people forget what a huge risk this movie was. Taking these B-level Marvel characters and not only making their movies work, but making their team-up movie work. When filming was taking place for The Avengers... Captain America the First Avenger and Thor had been finished, but hadn't yet been released. You've got to ask, well, what if those movies had tanked? What if audiences failed to embrace the characters post-Iron Man? What if Iron Man was literally the only character that people liked? I mean, luckily that, didn't, that wasn't the case, but it could have happened. This movie was a culmination of all of these ideas, all of these characters, and yet was also the beginning of this kind of new phase for Marvel, in a sense of having a cinematic universe stretching now 23 movies later, it was a huge gamble. It would have been easy to continue as well with the same core characters, you know, going through all these movies, having multiple Thor sequels, multiple Captain America sequels, and just keeping these core characters, these core Avengers. But Marvel kept introducing new ones because as Kevin Feige says, the comics are an embarrassment of riches. Why wouldn't you want to introduce these new characters? Why wouldn't you want to introduce characters like Ant-Man and Doctor Strange and the Guardians of the Galaxy? Why keep it just these core Avengers? It makes zero sense. Marvel have all of these properties to pick and choose on. And they have even more now that they have the likes of X-Men, Fantastic Four within their remit. It's, I mean, it's, just so astonishing. I think that's what I love so much about this movie. And it's another reason why... I'm so excited, I'm sorry. It's another reason why I wanted to do these movies in the run-up to episode 100. Because there's so much interesting stuff about Marvel and Marvel Studios and the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Avengers. It really is an embarrassment of riches. 
genuinely. But the other thing that I like as well is that they don't introduce new characters at the expense of the original Avengers, the actors of which have had their careers shaped and enhanced by these characters. None of these actors have been typecast by the experience. You look at someone like Scarlett Johansson, you look at Chris Evans, you look at Robert Downey Jr., you don't look at them and see these Marvel characters. They are still actors in their own right. Robert Downey Jr., who received the most lucrative pay packet, mainly due to his gravitas with the studio for essentially starting it all, he'd negotiated a reported $50 million salary for the Avengers alone, with a fraction of Marvel revenue for any film that features Iron Man, including box office bonuses and back-end compensation. To contrast this, all of the other actors received two to three million dollars each for the Avengers. However, all of them were paid considerably more to reprise their roles in whatever movies going forward. And I think Robert Downey Jr., I mean, he's such a linchpin in this franchise, this whole universe. He really is the linchpin. And obviously going forward into more Avengers movies um, and into other movies as well where he cameos, I mean, he really, really has made so much money of these movies. I mean, I'm pretty certain the guy could retire quite happily, but you know, he's Robert Downey Jr. Uh, he chooses to continue working. If you are a fan of Joss Whedon's TV shows and the movie Serenity, you will know that he's quite famed for killing people. It's something that he likes to do, and he likes to kill the characters who you love the most. I'm thinking of Willow in Buffy. I'm thinking of Fred in Angel. Spoilers for Buffy and Angel. I'm thinking Wash in Serenity, R.I.P. Wash, uh, I still love you. Basically, he really likes to take your heart and cut it out with a spoon. He really likes to cause incredible amounts of pain. So the only main cast member in this movie who doesn't survive is Phil Coulson. He is another connecting link to other movies. His death at the hands of Loki originally saw the movie receive an R rating, and obviously it was tamed in the final movie but serves as the catalyst for bringing this ragtag group together to fight for the common cause. And I'm a big fan of a lot of the characters we see in this movie. I love Black Widow here. It's not my favourite Black Widow because my favourite Black Widow is always going to be Captain America the Winter Soldier, Black Widow. But I love the Black Widow we see here. Her supposed vulnerability being her biggest strength. Her stunts as well are phenomenal, pretty much as always. And admittedly, I would have adored Emily Blunt in the role, but Scarlett Johansson really does bring this really subtle, sly sort of smirk to Natasha. You can believe that Scarlett Johansson is the world's greatest spy or could very easily be the world's greatest spy. I love Steve Rogers' earnest and almost lost little boy quality. Literally two weeks earlier, he woke up in the 2010s after being frozen for 70 years. His excitement at understanding that reference still gets me. A Tony Stark going from selfish to selfless in one movie. I've already mentioned Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner and how much I love him. The backstory between Clint and Natasha, hints at romance, but I'm glad that they, they, they don't go there. All the seeds of character growth, relationships and development would be obviously picked up in future movies, but really, let's be honest, you know who I'm here for. I'm here for Loki, <laughs> because I love Loki. Tom Hiddleston basically takes what he was given in Thor and just brings this scenery-chewing glory. It's all CGI scenery, but he chews it expertly. He really does. And then we kind of realise that he has no idea what he's let himself in for. He has these huge daddy issues. He has an inferiority complex to his brother. He's basically a child acting out in defiance for not being daddy's favourite. Loki is such a complex character. It would be really easy to play Loki as just a one-note villain. But Tom Hiddleston gives him nuance and vulnerability and extreme, extreme hotness. I'm here for greasy, dark-haired, blue-eyed men with parental trauma, clearly. Uh, the most fascinating thing really is despite bringing the Chitauri to Earth and trying to reign over us all, he's still able to find his redemption. Uh, Loki's never going to be a good guy. We find out he hasn't actually killed Coulson, which doesn't help the finality of Coulson's death, but it does help Loki redeem some semblance of humanity going forward because obviously Loki is going to be quite an important character going forward into the Thor movies and into other Avengers movies as well. And obviously, the TV show Loki 
is due to debut very shortly in the next couple of weeks as I'm recording this episode. And I'm incredibly excited to see more Loki because I am happy to watch anything Tom Hiddleston's in. If Keanu Reeves was my number one, then Tom Hiddleston would be my number two. Uh, (laughs) I'm not quite at the level of doing a obligatory Tom Hiddleston reference, but it might happen. You just never know. Maybe that's what I'll do for Marvel movies from now on, because it's getting increasingly harder to link Keanu. And just on a by note, if you're obviously stuck around to the end, you'd see a certain purple character who would also shape the trajectory of the MCU through phases two and three, Thanos was Joss Whedon's idea. It stemmed from the idea they were making a movie for everyone, so why not stick a little cameo in at the end for the comic book fans? And Thanos was just supposed to be a cameo. If you have an alien army, you need to know who the puppeteer is. Technically, in adding the Thanos cameo, Joss Whedon created more than just Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron. But obviously, They are stories for other episodes. And obviously I did mention Keanu just now, so I might as well do the obligatory Keanu reference. This is a part of the podcast where I try and link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And it's so, so hard with Marvel movies, genuinely, because he's not in any of them. So every time I do a Marvel movie, I get so excited to talk about Marvel movies. And then I get to the obligatory Keanu reference and I'm just like, how am I going to do this? So... I'm going to use the number 97 because this is episode 97 and I'm going to go to the year 1997 and basically talk about the devil's advocate. I talked about the devil's advocate as part of uh, the devil wears Prada, but it is a great movie. It's got nothing to do with the Avengers. Absolutely nothing apart from it came out in 1997. (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to do for next episode because he didn't have any movies that came out in 1998. So I'm going to have to think of something else. I don't know. I've got a, I've got a week to think about it. So I'll, I'm sure I'll come up with something. So the music. Following his work on Captain America the First Avenger, Alan Silvestri returned to compose the score for the Avengers. Straight up, it was agreed that having each character have their clearly definable themes playing would be distracting. And that for this epic team up, having clearly definable character themes would actually go against the narrative of this team-up. The circle shot was the defining moment for Silvestri to pinpoint what his theme needed to accomplish at that moment. Less of an action and more of a statement piece. Silvestri developed the score with the London Symphony Orchestra at Abbey Road Studios in London. Um, And if you can say anything about Silvestri's score, it's definitely memorable. And it always pumps me up as well. If I'm going out for a run or I'm going to do some exercise, I listen to the Avengers score. A teaser trailer for the Avengers, narrated by Samuel L. Jackson, appeared at the 2010 San Diego Comic-Con, followed by an introduction of the main cast members. While filming was in production on in 2011, Marvel announced it would not hold an Avengers panel at the July 2011 San Diego Comic-Con, mainly because the movie was still filming. And despite this being 2011, pre-current Avengers fanfare, expectations from fans were still high, and Marvel weren't prepared to deal with excessive fan expectations from the event. Instead, Kevin Feige and cast members attended New York Comic Con in October 2011 and introduced footage from the yet-to-be-finished movie as well as a panel discussion. The movie's first trailer debuted on iTunes and it broke records for being the most viewed trailer in the first 24 hours, being downloaded over 10 million times. This record was subsequently beaten by The Dark Knight Rises, a second... uh, A second trailer for the Avengers hit 13.7 million downloads in 24 hours. Disney paid an estimated $4 million for a 30-second spot during the February 2012 Super Bowl. Expectations for the Avengers literally could not be higher. So when it was released and it so when it premiered at the El Capitan Theatre on the 11th of April 2012, it also closed the 11th annual Tribeca Film Festival on 28th of April. And then it released wide in the US on the 4th of May 2012, where it made $270 million in its first week of release, sitting at number one comfortably for three weeks. In the UK, it was released as Marvel's Avengers Assemble, which everyone still agrees is a rubbish title. This was done to avoid confusion with the British spy series of the same name and its 1998 movie adaptation starring Ralph Fiennes and Uma Thurman. Honestly, everyone I know simply calls the Avengers, the Avengers. 
<laughs> uh, we don't call it Avengers Assemble. We don't confuse it with the British spy series of the same name because no one talks about the British spy series of the same name. So yeah, I'm calling it the Avengers. It's going to be marketed on this podcast as the Avengers. In no way is it called Avengers Assemble as far as I'm concerned. So I know that you know the Avengers was a financial behemoth or a leviathan so to speak it grossed 623.4 million dollars in the us and canada and 895.5 million dollars elsewhere for a total worldwide gross of 1.518 billion dollars it became the first comic book movie to gross 1 billion dollars the then third highest grossing film of all time the highest grossing film of 2012, the highest grossing superhero film. It basically shattered box office expectations, which was genuinely a phenomenal achievement. As I've said, the risks that this movie took to actually get made in the first place, the fan expectations. I mean, you look at fans now and what they expect of the Avengers movies. It's incredible that the Avengers movies continue to meet those expectations. Because fans love these properties so much. Avengers movies still seem to, on the whole, meet people's expectations. And obviously, critically, not only was it a huge financial success, it was also a critical success as well. It has a 91% of Rotten Tomatoes, with critics praising the special effects, the performances, character development and dialogue. The Avengers would be nominated for an Oscar for Best Achievement in Visual Effects, at the 2013 Academy Awards, as well as a BAFTA for Best Special Visual Effects, but lost out on both of those to Life of Pi. It received multiple other awards nominations, too many to list, actually, but out of 74 nominations, it would win 21 awards, including multiple Teen Choice Awards, People's Choice Awards and MTV Movie Awards, and also included winning four awards for stunt work at the Taurus World Stunt Awards for the excellent stunts in the movie. And obviously... You know there are sequels to this movie. You know Avengers Age of Ultron. You know Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. And, you know, all I can say is more on those movies coming soon. And while this is a movie that has clearly defined Avengers sequels, every other MCU movie plays off the ideas of this one. And that's what's so fascinating about Marvel. Kevin Feige having all these fingers in all these pies. Marvel ensures the majority of plot threads are woven between all of these movies. Even the completely separate stories, like Guardians of the Galaxy, are still woven in by the use of the Infinity Stones. Other movies like Captain America the Winter Soldier and Civil War will take plot points and character development from the Avengers and its sequel. It really is a masterclass of not just world building, but universe building. No wonder no other studio can replicate it because the Avengers can claim we have a Hulk, but Marvel can claim we have Kevin Feige. No one else has either of those things. Right, let's move over to social media thoughts. So we're going to start with the thoughts of the Verbal Diorama patrons. And we're going to start with Andy because we tend to always start with Andy. And Andy was the first person who came with his thoughts. So... Andy says, Okay, so I'm going to try to be nice. I don't really know what they were trying to accomplish with the Avengers. It was a pretty passable adaptation of something that nobody was really asking for. Ralph Fiennes and Uma Thurman gave it their... Oh wait, you were talking about the 2012 Marvel The Avengers, weren't you? Well, that's a different story entirely. The very model of the slow burn storytelling that took place over five movies with interconnected threads throughout that culminated in a breakthrough of storytelling and filmmaking. The movie benefits by not feeling so rushed looking at UDCEU and having introduced at least the concepts of some of the main team in the prior movies. While there are certainly better movies in the MCU, heck, there are better Avengers movies in the MCU, this one still makes me sit back and say, I can't believe they pulled it off. I must admit, when I first read Andy's comment, when he started with, I'm going to try to be nice, I thought to myself, oh God, I don't understand why Andy doesn't like this movie. And then, obviously, he made the joke, he made the funny about the Avengers 1998. So kudos to Andy, because you really had me going on this comment. But anyway, I'd like to give a plug for patrons who comment on these episodes. You should know Geek Salad by now. They are the one-stop podcast shop for basically everything to do with geek. So we're talking movies, music, 
TV, games, snacks. <laughs> I mean, literally anything and everything you can think of. They cover it. They genuinely do. The team is brilliant. They have a huge team actually on Geek Salad. They're all brilliant people. They all bring something so valuable to discussions. And Andy is a lovely, lovely man. And yeah, you should, you should listen to Geek Salad because they are tremendous. We've also got a patron comment from Scott and he says, I'll be honest, I had a touch of scepticism about whether the Avengers would work. Having really liked Iron Man, but not feeling Iron Man 2, Thor, or First Avenger were great films first time round, I didn't know how they would pull it off, but bloody hell did they ever. One of the most purely entertaining cinema experiences I've ever had, and a giddy thrill of watching something so fun. Yes, it has been surpassed in the MCU now, but this was the point that got me on board. I need another viewing soon. And yes, you absolutely do need another viewing soon, Scott. It is so much fun to actually rewatch. And Scott, along with Chris and Kev, hosts the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast. So I'm going to give them a bit of a plug as well. It's a great podcast hosted by three friends who clearly love reviewing and watching films. Scott's a great guy. I know he's looking forward to cinemas reopening so he can visit them again. Make sure you check out Monkey See Monkey Review. I'll put links for both Geek Salad and Monkey See Monkey Review in the show notes. Stop the presses. We have some more patron comments. So we will go over to the first one. It is from Derek and he says, Safe to say this one changed the game. I'll never forget the feeling of seeing the Avengers team up for the first time. It literally gives me chills. While I don't think this one is the best Avengers movie, I still love every second of this movie. Still on Team Cap. And Derek, uh, along with his amazing wife, Laurel, hosts the Midnight Myth podcast. It's one of my favourite podcasts. They talk about history, mythology, philosophy, and how those topics relate to modern cinema. Every episode is golden. Uh, You will learn something from every episode, I guarantee you. And obviously, recent episodes include Baby Arthur, who is the most adorable baby on the planet. Links for The Midnight Myth are also in the show notes. Right, we'll move on to another patron. This is Claudia. She says, Avengers is not a perfect film, but I am still in awe of how well it set up the actual story. I wasn't crazy about Norton's Hulk movie, nor the first Captain America film, but absolutely loved the two Iron Man films and, of course, Thor. That being said, I was accustomed to being disappointed in superhero films. I was also really concerned about the lack of Ant-Man and the Wasp, because they were two of the OG members from the comics that were missing. I went with a group of friends who loved the material as much as I did. I loved the film, I loved the acting, the writing, the characters, everything fit perfectly. The jokes were timed well and the movie didn't take itself too seriously. It was able to lay the foundation for the rest of the film in a way that I didn't quite understand at the time, but looking back, it's nothing short of brilliant. I loved how Black Widow was portrayed as she's been my favourite since I was a tiny girl. She fought and was able to stand with the guys. I was so worried she would be portrayed as helpless, but OMG, she took on the Hulk and outsmarted Loki. She had a relationship with Hawkeye, but it was platonic. And she pronounced Budapest exactly the way someone who grew up in the Soviet Union or Russia would. I was taught to pronounce Budapest the way she was while studying in St. Petersburg slash Moscow. I was in love. I'll riot if the Black Widow film doesn't solve the Budapest question. Iron Man was exactly the way I thought he would be when surrounded by his teammates. Loved, loved, loved Fury and Coulson. Maria Hill underwent a sea change from the comics to film, and that worked well. Hulk was great, as were Thor and Loki. Well, especially Loki, winky face. As I have stated before, he was set up to be this flawed villain that set up the rest of the universe well. I had a feeling that Loki was a bit more nuanced than the film set him up to be, and he is. And Captain America? I was pleasantly surprised at how much I liked him. I never did like Cap. Okay, I hated Cap. And it wasn't until the Civil War comic series that I began to appreciate Steve. To me, Steve was always so boring and dull and perfect, a bit like Superman. But this film, this film made me like him. He was human, yes he was a good leader, but he had weaknesses, as the other characters did, and flaws. He was out of his time and it showed. I never ever thought I would like Cap, but here we are. I wasn't really sure about Thanos. He was a good villain in the comics, but I would have perhaps chosen another villain, like Ultron and Jocasta or Mephisto, but Thanos? He was okay. Yeah, wrong again. I do love being wrong. The team itself wasn't perfect at all. It worked, though. It seemed like a family, almost. They didn't all get along, and the conflict between them worked well. It set up the conflicts that would come up in later films. 
I could see them living together in the Avengers Mansion as they did in the comics. It was cool. This was the movie that convinced me that Marvel would exceed DC in the cinematic universe. I knew the MCU was going to be special. All this to say, had you told me in the 90s or 2000s that there would exist a film based on Avengers, it would not follow comic continuity, it would have a hodgepodge of characters, it would be good and it would lay the groundwork for the entire universe, I would have laughed and asked you what you were smoking. I was deliriously happy with the film. I'm still happy about it. Thank you so much, Claudia. I know that Claudia is a huge fan of this movie. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to cover the movie because I know so many people are huge fans. And we'll move on to another patron. This is Brendan. And he says, Still the record holder for films I've seen the most times theatrically. The Avengers not only holds up as a gloriously entertaining blockbuster, even after far bigger and wider MCU outings, but remains a minor miracle of being both brilliant culmination and a choice entry point. There are half dozen character and action beats in the second half of the movie that most folks would build a whole damn movie around. And yet the Avengers delivers by leaving absolutely everything on the floor, while still promising even bigger things on the horizon. It's a shame that the director has since revealed himself to be a gaslighting garbage bag, but respect must be paid to the actors and artists that Kevin Feige assembled to bring this to life, because they proved themselves mighty indeed. And just to say, Claudia and Brendan, they don't have podcasts, but they are very, very awesome patrons of Verbal Diorama. We'll move on. We'll move over to Twitter and we'll start with Sam at Movie Reviews in 20 Qs. And he says, Absolutely blew apart the idea of what could be done with superhero movies. In doing so, it became a true trailblazer that managed to balance story, fun and action, while also giving each character their own individual chance to shine. One hell of a stepping off point. Patrick from the Rewind Movie Podcast at Patrick Waggett, who said, I'll never forget the monumentary pause in the cinema at this line. The look to my friends in almost disbelief before we all burst out laughing. What a line and delivery. And he's talking about the gif that I posted. I'm bringing the party to you. (laughs) It is one of my favourite moments in the whole movie. Moving on, we have at Jonathan Blade, who said, The moment that hooked me from the trailer, it's Hulk catching Tony as he fell from the sky. The Avengers is everything that this kind of movie should be. It juggles all of its plates with impressive dexterity while keeping everything zippy. At So What Happens N1 said, Just watched Endgame and how those space whales have fallen on the threatometer. Well, you know, there are slightly more things going on in Endgame, I think. (laughs) But yeah, the Leviathans are definitely not as scary in Endgame as they are in Avengers. But it is nice to see them, weirdly, in Endgame. And at McLean Dave said, If anyone is wondering what Black Widow's superpower is, I'm pretty sure it's common sense. And I would be actually in agreement with that. I think Natasha is definitely the most commonsensical of all of the Avengers. But then I guess she's not really a superhero. So she has to have common sense because she's not a god or, you know, a super soldier. So... Otherwise, if she doesn't have common sense, she's not going to last too long. Moving over to Instagram, we have at Friendly Sparpod, who said, The Avengers was the culmination of everything the MCU did in Phase 1. Up to this point, we knew they could make brilliant origin films for the individual Avengers, but it was with this movie that we saw the payoff for the hard work. We saw they could manage the different personalities and maintain consistency with their relationships. 10 out of 10. And uh, we don't have any comments on Facebook, even though Claudia's comment came from Facebook. Generally, if patrons comment, I stick it in the patron comments, regardless of where they post their comments. Uh, So we don't have any other Facebook comments. Um, But as always, uh, thank you so much to everyone who commented on The Avengers. The thing that strikes me most about The Avengers isn't just that it's a fun movie, because it is a seriously fun movie. It's... It isn't even that it started the ball rolling for Marvel's dominance of superhero cinema, nor that I still enjoy watching it immensely, despite seeing it multiple times. It goes back to that simple quote from Nick Fury, an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people. It's really easy for us as viewers to watch any movie, whether you enjoy it or not, and say derogatory things about it. And I'm guilty of this too. I bemoan CG all the time, despite this being a movie full of CG. But no matter what the movie, whether it's Avengers or Justice League, whether it's Paddington or The Room, The Happening or The Wizard of Oz, Transformers or The Dark Crystal, just a few off the top of my head, but to varying degrees of quality, 
It still took bringing together a group of remarkable people to do the things that collectively we could never do. It's really easy to critique something, but then you have to ask, well, could you do it? And this is one of the reasons why I never call myself a critic, because I'm not. Uh, I feel like I'm not qualified to be one. I will tell you the truth about how I feel about a movie, but it is just an opinion. It's not a critical lens on the quality of filmmaking. It's just how I feel about the movie uh, as a whole. But that's kind of what I take away from The Avengers, because it should have, by all accounts, failed. It shouldn't be this good. It had no firm foundation. This was the foundation. And while it's easy to be negative about Marvel movies, blaming them for the state of cinema, you surely can't see this achievement and think that you could do better. DC have tried. I'm not a fan of Justice League. Obviously, it's a movie that has its fans. A cinematic universe is not an easy thing to make. And a cinematic universe is a thing purely because of this movie alone. And honestly, the fact that it's cohesive, funny, interesting and enjoyable in its own right is honestly a marvel. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on The Avengers. If you love this episode, you can help Verbal Diorama grow and be noticed by doing something like telling your friends or family about this podcast. You can retweet or like posts on social media and help other people notice me. Or you could just leave a rating or review on something like Apple Podcasts. And thank you to people who've recently left five-star reviews. It's so gratefully received. If you'd like this episode on The Avengers specifically, you might also like one of the following episodes. And I can't unfortunately recommend every comic book movie I've ever done because I've done quite a few comic book movies in the preceding 96 episodes. So I'm going to stick with MCU movies and Joss Whedon specifically. So I'm going to recommend episode two, Captain Marvel. It's a tiny episode. It's really more of a, this is how Captain Marvel made me feel episode more than anything. A part of me does want to go back and revisit Captain Marvel and do a proper episode on Captain Marvel. I don't know whether I will do that anytime soon, but one day I would really, really like to because it's still a movie that I enjoy very much. Episode 53, Serenity. It's obviously the Joss Whedon movie that I covered. so much interesting stuff about Serenity and about how the fans of Serenity and Firefly really, really did save that movie. I mean, they got it made in the first place, but they continue to back that movie, to follow that movie. It's a genuine fan achievement, Serenity. And it is a fun movie as well. It's really, really good. If you've not seen Firefly, I would highly recommend it, actually. Uh, Episode 56, X-Men, mainly because... That kind of talks about how Kevin Feige actually started with Marvel. Episode 68, Black Panther. I covered Black Panther only a couple of months after Chadwick Boseman's death. It's a very emotional episode. And recently rewatching Avengers Endgame for Livestream for the Cure, I still get so emotional seeing him as Black Panther. I feel like I'm going to get quite emotional (laughs) with uh, seeing him again in Avengers Infinity War and and Avengers Endgame. But I'm very proud of that episode on Black Panther. It is an emotional episode, but I think it's really important to talk about how you feel. And Chadwick Boseman brought so much to that role. He was the perfect Black Panther. I'm intrigued how they're going to continue without him. And then episodes 71, 72 and 73, they are Captain America the First Avenger, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Captain America Civil War... They came out last December and they were massive, massive hits. People love Captain America. And I was just so excited to talk Captain America because he is one of my favourite characters in the entire of the MCU. And we have so much more Captain America to talk about with the Avengers. Obviously, give me feedback on my recommendations. Do you feel like I missed anything? And I know I missed loads of comic book movies. I know I missed things like Birds of Prey and the Hellboy movies. (laughs) and and Scott Pilgrim and all of those all of these amazing movies that come from comic books or graphic novels Viva Vendetta as well but I can't mention all of them Uh, I wish I could but I can't so the next episode is of course moving on to Joss Whedon's slightly less well received but no less financially successful Avengers Age of Ultron we get some new faces we get some controversial character choices and we get some setup for future movies as well as TV shows I'm certainly interested to see if WandaVision improves Age of Ultron retrospectively. I feel like it might. 
because after watching WandaVision, I feel like I now know Wanda and Vision a little bit better. And I've always been a big fan of both of those characters from their Age of Ultron debuts. So I'm actually really interested to rewatch Age of Ultron again. You can follow me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. If you want to sign up to support the show financially, you can do so at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash verbal diorama. I have to say a massive thank you to a brand new patron. His name is Ian. He has joined as a Ted Theodore Logan patron because yes, all of the tiers are Keanu themed. Thank you so much for joining up, Ian. I hope you enjoy your time as a patron. There is also a brand new Patreon tier. Uh, it's called Duke Kaboom, obviously named after Keanu's character in Toy Story 4. And Duke Kaboom is a $1 tier. And it's basically if you just want to cameo. So you only get a couple of perks as a $1 patron, but it's literally just a little cameo in the Patreon. So if you do want to make a Duke Kaboom cameo, then you can do on the Patreon for a dollar, or I think it's a pound in pound sterling. And as always, a massive thank you to the patrons of Verbal Diorama, Simon E, Sade, Hardy L, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Mark, Brendan and Ian. Let's all go for shawarma. I have a merch store. If you're interested, teespring.com slash stores slash verbal diorama. You can email me verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can also contact me over at verbaldiorama.com. And you can also pop over to filmstories.co.uk. There is a brand new issue of the magazine coming. And there are regular articles online available for you to read and click on and enjoy. And finally... That man's playing Gallagher. Thought we wouldn't notice, but we did. Bye.